there was a name that kept coming up, Khotso Siatlulo. And without fail, people mentioned him, but it was almost in passing, you know, but, but, but it raised the question, who is Khotso? Who's this person that they are talking about? Um, many have decried the fact that although, although Khotso was among the leaders who spearheaded the 1976 uprisings, um, he nevertheless died a poor man and uh, went on to try and find some material on Khotso. And I want us to start today's discussion at this point. Um, an article that appeared in City Press on uh, the 21st of February 2004. It was by Tami Nkwanyane, and this is what it reads. The wife of June 16, 1976 icon and student leader Khotso Siatloho shunned all attempts by politicians to glamorize the funeral of her husband. I refuse a lavish funeral service. Why should he be treated like that after his death when he was neglected while he was alive? The politicians wanted his funeral to leave from the Regina Mundi Church, but I felt it would be soothing for him if the service was held in Pimville, where he lived and struggled, said Tandi Siatlulo. Khotso uh, died a poor man and had to be buried as such, she went on to say. Khotso was buried at the Avalon Cemetery in Soweto after a service at the St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Pimville, and his funeral was attended by uh, political leaders from across the spectrum, including um, Minister of uh, Public Enterprises, then Jeff Khatebe, ANC Secretary General, then Khalima Mutlante, uh, the then Mayor of Johannesburg, Amos Masondo, Winnie Madigizela Mandela, and uh, many of the June 16 icons such as Murphy Morobe and and Majakatata Mukwena, to name but a few. So that is where I want us to locate it and then to move back and find out who was this man. And uh, joining us uh, for this discussion this morning is uh, Malisela Steve Libilo. And uh, the other day when we were talking about um, Tietzi Mashinini, he called in and, um, you know, gave us some insights on what was actually happening. And he was also former head of the South African Youth Revolutionary Council in Lesotho. And Mr. Um, Libilo, thanks so much for speaking to us this morning. Hi, good morning, Sakina, and thanks for having me. So what a sad end, and and a sad end to a life that we really don't know much about, because I really struggled. I was looking for material um, on this leader, and and it was really hard to come by, and therefore we are grateful to the likes of you who are still around who can actually tell that story. So if we can start by telling us, who was Khotso Siatlulo? Uh, thanks, Akina. Yes. Khotso uh, Siakulo was, in fact, one of the student leaders uh, who was a student at Naledi High School. And you, and you rightly, as you rightly mentioned there, you know, few people would know about the role that Khotso Siakulo played. But I'll come back to this a little later and explain why. Because I'm, I'm getting a sense that although we have a, a clear understanding that, you know, history is actually being distorted for certain purposes. What we don't seem to understand would be the reasons why, specifically in relation to Khotso. I will be able to touch on, you know, his activities both inside the country and in exile, uh, in Botswana and, you know, on, in other parts of Africa, just to demonstrate, you know, how he would have, 
you know, generated a kind of an antagonism from what I referred to as the exiled movement at the time, which would have included the ANC and the PAC. But in particular, it would be the ANC that is going to be under focus here. Khotos uh, was a student, as I said, at Naledi High School. I met him for the first time around March, April 1976. And I think I need to give this background because it is one of the themes that dominate the discourse about June 16, 1976. Uh, if one looks at the profile of student leaders at the time, there is one thing that runs, you know, that is common among m- many or all of them. All of them were, you know, in debating societies. We were all members of debating societies in our respective schools. At Madiwani High School, where I was, I was in the debating team, and my brother, Abia Lebelo, who was actually killed on the 4th of August, 1976, was chairperson of the debating society at Madiwani High School. And the one thing that he did, A.B., the one thing that A.B. did, was to organize debates between Madiwani High School and other schools around Soweto and also with North Haseche, Colored Township and Lenasia High. But the highlight was actually a debate with King David's High School, which actually happened around May 1976, just before the outbreak of, of the revolt. And Nyana Mulete, who was you know, one of your people there, would remember that debate because we, are, we both attended. But let's come back to Khoto. By June 16, 1976, Koto would have been, you know, one of the student leaders at Naledi High School. And you people often hear, you know, a lot of callers coming in and saying the whole thing started on the 8th of, of uh, June 1976 at Naledi High School. And that demonstrates the fact that there, too, you had the kinds of students with a caliber to take up leadership positions and actually lead the student movement. And Koto was therefore one of them. The other thing that is distinctive about Khoto is that of the leadership of 1976, a lot of them at that time were 20 years old, born in 1956. Khoto was two years younger, and that makes him even more remarkable, you know, for him to have become a leader at the age that he was and actually become the chairperson of the uh, uh, Lady High School at the Soweto Student Re- uh, Representative Council. I think we've covered much about what CSU did, you know, from the 16th of, of June right down to sometime in August when he left the country. That is something that we have covered, and, you know, uh, the Mazivugo is a hard act to follow. But I think he has clearly, you know, illustrated that and explained that to us. Mm. Part of what we need to do is to link up Khotso to TSC. Unless we understand the context in which Khotso takes up leadership, we will never understand just how remarkable a leader he was. So explain that to us. Okay. Uh, at the tail end of TSC's uh, presidency, the one thing that TSC didn't again... Sakina, this is one thing that we probably will need to talk about. It will need an hour of its own. It's the events of the 4th of August. You know, we often talk about the 16th of June. And that gives the impression that uh, the uprising, you know, just lasted one day on the 16th. Mm. The fact of the matter is that the uprising or the revolt actually extended for nearly 18 months. And the one thing that your listeners should understand here is that at different times, the SSRC was able to come up with a new executive committee and, and you know, take the struggle forward. Uh, when TSC left the country around the end of August, early in September, 
the apartheid state was hoping that there wouldn't be anyone with enough courage, you know, to take up the leadership. But Khoto was there to become the second president of the SSRC. Uh, it is a pity we can't talk about the 4th of August, but I think we have a lot of other things that are linked to it that may be able to explain Khoto's tenure as president of the SSRC. The long and the short of it, just to cut the long story short, the 4th of August saw two things that happened that were quite unprecedented. The first is that the students called a stay away from work by Soweto residents. That is hardly actually covered in history books, precisely because it was organized by the SSRC with no hidden hand from the exile movement. And the second was to organize a march into town on, to coincide with the stay away. Again, there's a lot of detail that is generated by that day in itself. In fact, if you ask me, I often tell people that the 4th of August saw more people dying on that day alone than on any other day in the 18 months of the revolt. And there are two reasons why that happened. The first is that the students were marching into town. And what were we demanding? We were demanding the release of students who were detained between the 16th of June and the 4th of August, because scores of students were arrested between the 16th of June and the 4th of August, you know, because there was a general state of unrest in Soweto at the time. And that, that is what that much was actually intended to do. And because you had students and parents at home on the same day, and there were clashes between students and police, that is why the violence on that particular day became so intense. And with, in about three weeks, CAT was on the run until the end of August, early September, when he was forced to go to exile. And Khotso came in to become the president of the SSRC when it was formally launched on the 2nd of August, which was a Monday. And it is on that day that the two resolutions were taken, to have a stay away and to march into town to demand the release of political detainees. And then, you know, how did Khotso, I mean, manage to keep things uh, uh, together? Because clearly, with Tieti on the run, police, uh, the security police at the time having their eye on these student leaders because it was clear that that was uh, where things were being um, maneuvered from. So how did he actually manage to keep things together uh, around that sort of time? Uh, Sagin, I think this is a good question. This is what the apartheid state was thinking, that after TAC had left, you know, this unrest is going to, you know, peter out and, and things will be back to normal. But it, it actually demonstrates the courage and, and the tenacity, you know, that Koto Siakolo would have had. If you think about it, in that context in which people were being detained and being killed in detention and where students were being shot at and killed, you know, how many people would have taken the responsibility of organizing the SSRC once TLC, you know, Mashinini had left? It took someone of Koto's, you know, leadership qualities to do that. Not only did Koto do that, but he was able to travel around Soweto schools. I remember I met him when he came to Madibani High School. And the two things that he was going to talk about, and this is important for listeners to understand, you know, because it, at that point in time, you know, clashes between students and police were ap- happening so frequently. And it was actually dangerous for him to be moving around Soweto because already he was known. 
but also took it upon himself to address students in different Soweto high schools. And this is important. You know, this has not actually been documented anywhere else. And at the end of his visits in Soweto schools, he had been able to communicate a message that sometime towards the end of September, we are going to have yet another campaign that we are going to undertake. And if you check the history books, you will realize that it is only mentioned in passing. But this was yet another march by Soweto students into downtown Johannesburg to John Foster Square to demand the release yet again of all political detainees. The long and the short of it is that we managed for the first time to get into town. You know, by different means, a lot of students were beginning to meet around town on the morning of the 22nd of September, and we were marching towards John Foster Square to demand the release of those students. Uh, but unfortunately, students were based on charge. And we returned back into, you know, to Soweto, but a lot of them were arrested and were charged under public violence and, you know, and other uh, related uh, kind of legislations. And Hoto then had to be on the run for all mm. of September and for all of October. By the time he was forced to leave the country, he had been shot and wounded. And it was clear that by then he had to leave the country. But before he did so, Sakina, yet another very important campaign, hardly ever referred to in history books, Koto Seattle called for a consumer boycott at the end of 1976 and what we referred to as Black Christmas. I don't know how many people remember how somber you know, the festive season of December was in Soweto. There was hardly any festivities at all. And I think I'm in a better position to explain the impact that the consumer boycott had on the retail trade in Johannesburg, because at the time I was actually working, you know, during uh, holidays at Bauer's clothing shop, which was a, a popular clothing shop for Soweto residents who were buying kids, you know, Christmas shopping for kids. Every year, Bowers used to make a lot of money, but that year, at the end of 76, black people did not buy children Christmas clothing. The impact on the retail trade was actually massive, and it was reported in the newspapers. And then we went into January, but Kozo had left the country. Now, we need to follow Kozo because what happens thereafter, again, you know, there was a hope that now that Kozo was out of the way, the student movement had come to an end. 1977 would start off as a, a very peaceful year, but that hardly ever happened. Mm. But before we, we get to that point, there. yeah, but but yes. but where does Hotso go? You know, he's wounded. Uh, he's obviously a wanted man. Where yes. did he find his refuge? Where did he go to? Well, he, he actually fled to Swaziland. And again, this is another thing that I need to explain. At the beginning, in, from the 16th of June right down to towards October in 76, when students fled the country, uh, the country of choice that they would have gone to was Botswana. But there is something about Swaziland that was beginning to be appealing, especially after November. There was a concert, or a Bob Murray concert, that was scheduled for Swaziland during uh, December period, early in December. And if people remember, a lot of people in Soweto were heading for Swaziland for that concert, but unfortunately it was cancelled. So at that point, at the time when Kozo wanted to leave the country, Swaziland was actually a preferred destination. So he went to Swaziland, but after some time he travelled to Botswana and linked up with uh, with, uh, CRT machining. Then we get into 1978 in Botswana, you know, when when there, there, there is 
clear indications that there, there is a group of students you know, who actually felt that rather than joining the exiled movement, the ANC and the PAC, that they were going to stay a distinct organization, autonomous from both these two exiled movements. But at some point, they were going to set up, you know, and launch a student movement in exile. And we started working towards that. A student movement, was that student movement meant to take up um, arms at any point? Yes, I think I will come back to explain that a little later, because part of what we need to cover now is what happens in Botswana during 1978 and 1979, because a lot of things actually happened, one of which would lead to what people would refer to as CAT machinery's expulsion from the student movement. Mm. But I think part of what we need to bear in mind is that when that happens, the student movement had not been formally launched as yet. That was going to happen a year later. Okay. But Koso was then, again, his organizational capabilities came to the fore. You know, in 1978, he was working tirelessly towards the formation of such a movement. And maybe if I reflect a little, just to explain what are the kinds of things that Koso did, that would have alienated him from the exiled movement.